Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show, the number one talk show in St. George, starring Andy Griffin. That's me. Thanks for the intro. John Riley is our voice guy. Imaging, they call it in radio. And John, uh, we made a switch. I don't know, you know, discerning listeners will know. We switched voice guys uh, at the uh, first of November. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I dig the new guy. He's pretty awesome. It is uh, Wednesday. Today is the ninth day of December. And I'm uh, happy to welcome into the Terry Creek Studios, Terry Hudsonson from the Washington County School Board. Terry, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Oh, there you go. There we go. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I thought I couldn't hear myself. <laughs> it's it's good to have you here. Uh, Terry is an, an attorney. has been an attorney here in southern Utah for how many years? Nearly 30. 30 years. Wow. And, uh, of course, raised, I think it's, it's 30 in uh, 1992. I got here in February of 92. Raised some kids here. Yep. Uh, five. Five kids, five kids. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know, I think, two of them so, uh, are new to them. I don't know yeah. them now. But I, well, back when they were athletes, and I was doing sports on the radio and stuff. So, uh, but uh, Terry is uh, has been serving on the Washington County School Board for four years now. This is yeah. I'm just coming up at the end of four. This this meeting uh, that we just had yesterday is my is my last meeting of the fourth term or the first term, I should say. Very Boy, nice. if I'm here four terms, I, I'll be surprised. <laughs> There's no term limit on school board. No, no, no. Right. Actually. Uh, one of our seats, uh, one of the people has been there 20 years, and his predecessor, I think, was there 30 or 40. Okay. So, it, yeah. That would be, I, I think, a commentary either on apath- apatheticism from people who don't care that much or that he's doing a great job. They, they did a great job. One or the and, other. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, that the school board, I think, is the most local of all elections. I mean, you know, you're... Yeah. Even city council, maybe city council is close to that. But other than that, you know, all the numbers are there. I mean, in in my district for my seat, we have 14,000 registered voters. And in our last election, by the way, we had almost 13,000 votes that were tallied. Yeah, very good. So a lot of high participation. And that's just in your district. That's too. just in our district. So yeah, it's not like we're talking all of all of Washington. No, there, we have seven people on the board, and uh, the county is divided up into into seven seven different districts and the districts are not equal. So we redistricted two years ago and they took about 3000 of my voters and gave them to some other people. And, uh, I'm still the biggest because of all the growth that's going in out there. And, and we, uh, we had a couple of hearings, uh, last night. So within our meeting, we have public hearings. We had three of them last night. And, uh, one of those hearings was on changing the boundaries for the secondary school, taking all the students that live in the White Dome subdivision down there by the bypass and then the Desert Canyon and uh, over there and putting them from Crimson Cliffs back to Desert Hills. So when we first did the boundaries for Crimson Cliffs a few years ago, um, there was plenty of room and there was plenty of space and all of those kids would go to Crimson. And yet the growth that Crimson has experienced in other areas than those has caused us to, to need to readjust, and so we're just being proactive. While this year it wouldn't be a problem, within two years, uh, Des- Crimson would be over 1,600 students, wow. which you know would cause, first of all, they wouldn't, they'd be over capacity. And second and more important, they wouldn't be the same size as all our other schools, and they'd start competing 5A. Now, this is something that I'm sure you can relate to because you remember when Pineview for a little while – 
and when a couple of our schools were 4A instead of 3A. Yeah, Snow Canyon, uh, Dixie, and Pineview all got bumped up. Yeah, they got bumped up, and then, you know, they were playing people like Temp View for football, and, and it got ugly sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, much larger schools. But, they, they you know, they, they fit in there, but they were in the very lower end of those sizes. And, and we like to keep our schools roughly equivalent. makes it a lot easier for them to uh, do the extracurricular activities, including sports, with each other. And uh, it, it also saves us a lot in terms of travel because – we're now our own region between us and Iron County. So yeah. it, it really cuts back and it allows us to, to do more for the students um, and, and also, you know, keep the budgets down. A couple of housekeeping things before we get to, more into your meetings, Terry. Uh, tomorrow, Mayor Thursday, Chris Hart from Ivan's will be joining me on the program. We'll have open lines on Friday. Uh, I scheduled, I have uh, Eric Scott. He's a financial advisor on next Wednesday, so a week from today. Uh, and Eric Scott is maybe going to pull the curtain, uh, pull the curtain up a little bit, maybe uh, reveal a little bit more about some of the things that we talk about all the time, reverse mortgages, uh, uh, home equity line of credit, things like that. I just want to get a financial advisor's, uh, uh, kind of advice is his thoughts on, on things like that. So, uh, looking forward to that, uh, as well. That's next Wednesday. We obviously have some guests scheduled between now and then, and then as well. And uh, today it's Terry Hutchinson from the Washington County school board, uh, talk a little bit about your meetings. You know, meetings to a lot of people, those are bad words. And Oh, another meeting. And and sometimes a meeting, I always contend, you can take care of most meetings with uh, three emails or less. Uh, not these. Uh, not these. Not these, no. These, not, no. Not, talk about the no. meetings. Well, our, our typical meeting, our regular meeting that's once a month, starts at noon. And it goes till it goes. I mean, we start the public open session. We have what we call the working sessions up until 430 and then from 4.30 on. So we ended last night a little after 6, probably about 6.15, wow. 6.20, something like that. And, um, you know, we cover all the areas. And now we, we have found that because the district has grown so much, nearly every month, this month is an exception, we have at least one other work meeting. And it's usually on the fourth Monday night of uh, each, each month, uh, sometimes on the third. It just depends. Like last month, we had it, uh, we had it earlier. We, because of Thanksgiving week and, um, those will go anywhere from there. You know, everybody would prefer that they go for an hour, but they'll often go two, three hours. And in the summer they were going four or five when we, when we were hit with more COVID things. I'm usually the first one to suggest a meeting. Um, I, I'll tell you, you like them. Well, you know, you like them and you don't like them. Um, but, but the reason is when we're together and, we're able to cover all the issues that we need to cover and we can communicate effectively with each other and we can get the votes that we need or not, or we can see where the differences are. Uh, you know, maybe we make some compromises with each other, but it really is much more effective. And to the degree that we go with zoom, uh, or at least me, that's not as effective. There were some, there were some meetings of the Utah school board association, um, I should have gone personally because I couldn't get my Zoom thing to work or maybe they didn't want to hear what I had to say. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the, but anyway, the, the you, host can mute you at any time, and that can be frustrating as well. Yeah, well, and sometimes, you know, they don't see the hand or they, it, it's not really on their agenda. And, you know, um, it just depends. I, I get really frustrated when I have to do Zoom meetings. I don't like them. And so I'm always in in favor of a more 
personal hands-on you know, presence. That's a little old school, right? I mean, it, a little bit. Terry is here, by the way. He's not on the phone. He, he I, well, you know, we, we are, we you, are. You don't have to, you don't have to make a big deal of that. I'm always here. Yeah. Well, I'm, but I'm just saying that that, that kind of. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm frustrated, Andy. I'm frustrated that you and I are in different studios right I, now, I, but at I, least I, I can too. see you Yeah. because <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it is what it is. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one as well. That's been really hard. In fact, I have valued, one of the things I valued in having this job, Terry, and you know because you've been in this chair uh, from time to time, uh, is the relationships you build with guests. Uh, yeah. It, just stuff like talking between breaks, uh, nonverbal cues, and things like that that you lose when you put someone in a different room. Uh, and so, yeah, you don't, you don't pick it up on the phone. It's hard. Right. Um, I, I do a monthly thing up in Salt Lake. Um for what they call interpreter foundation radio. It's a, it's based on, uh, it's a volunteer group that supports, you know, scholarship in favor of, of the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day saints. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're on, on Sunday nights. Uh, it's a really weak signal, but you can pick it up online or, or, and then they do podcasts. So, uh, and I'm on with a couple of people, John Gee from Brigham Young, and he's usually in studio with me. And then sometimes we have somebody on the line, and one of our regular co-hosts is uh, uh, Kevin Christensen. He's out in Pennsylvania. And it, sometimes it's hard to uh, fully allow him to engage in our conversation just because he's not there. He, we can't see him. And so, you know, I'm, I, I think it's always best to meet in person if you can about some things. Routine matters, hey, you, you can do that remotely. Um, you know, I, I know... Uh, we had a, a meeting recently, kind of a, an emergency COVID meeting. We had one in the summer. I was supposed to visit my grandkids in Oklahoma. Well, the minute I got off the plane in Tulsa, um, I got on the line, and that meeting went four hours. Oh, wow. And um, I, I was on the line for four hours. And sometimes, you know, you can't always, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to wait you can't see the facial expressions in the room like you said. You just can't see the verbal things you need to see. And um, Kelly Blake did one recently where we were, it was another long meeting, and uh, Kelly was on vacation with his family. And so his whole family's doing their whole thing, and for about four or five hours, he's shut up in a place, you know, with us on the phone. So it, we do what we have to do. Remind me, Kelly Blake is... Kelly he, Blake's one of our other board members. And... and He's out in the Washington fields. Okay. I think years ago, like 20-something years ago, I bought his house from him. Oh. <laughs> out, out there in Washington. Uh -huh. I, I think. I think that was his house. Could be. He's been out in the fields a long time. It was a long time ago. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, yeah. All right. So uh, I think what we're establishing here, and it's not a secret, but I think that face-to-face -face meetings are, are very important, and that actually segues right into, you know, the, to the school kids and, and – uh, you know, you hate the, hate the mask or the shields or whatever, but at least we've got kids face-to-face -face with teachers learning in the classroom. You have been a kind of a banner carrier for that. You've been like, this needs to happen. We need to stick to our guns. I know there was an article recently in one of the news outlets saying, well, we're really close to shutting down. And, and you actually came on the air and said, that's, that's actually not true. Uh, yeah, we're not. And, and I'm, I have to say, I'm the most vocal member, period. Mm -hmm. But um, we are unanimous in wanting the in-person education. I mean, it, you know, and the price that we are paying is putting up with the masks and the shields and all the rest. And, you know, we, we I think we've 
basically abused that principle enough, but the, the science for that just isn't there when it comes to the students. But, right. hey, we're, we're dealing with people who have the power to shut down the schools if they feel we're not doing and complying with these standards, and so that's our trade-off. It's just like recently I, I've been dealing with emails from parents about the testing of the athletes, and it's not just the athletes. It's the testing of anybody that wants to participate in a play, in a choir, in a debate, anything. I mean, the the public health rule is if you want to participate in those things, then you got to be tested. And up in Davis County, I saw the other day, there's a school that says to the students, if we don't have 80% of our students test, we will close the school. Wow. I mean, that's just, and that is set obviously by their school board who are elected by their people. And they're going to have to be responsible for that. I, I would never handle it that way. That I, I'm, I've been the person all through this process that basically has the administrative gun to my head saying, we're going to close you if you don't do X, Y, and Z. And if the governor closes us again, I've been very vocal that I want our school board to sue the governor. And uh, I, I would definitely be pressing for that. That's how important it is. Nobody in this process has really stood up for the kids in, as strongly as they need to in terms of, you know, in-person education. I mean, we, we have people, we have groups who are saying, oh, we want to close them remotely so we can protect this group or that group. That's fine. That's their agenda. But the, so far, the students haven't had anybody stand up and say, you guys, uh, I mean, the parents in Salt Lake City School District, which hasn't opened this year, they are going nuts. And that's a school board that's extremely dysfunctional for a lot of different reasons. I, I don't, you know, I know one or two of the people on it. I've met them at various conferences. And, uh, you know, I, obviously you can't always trust what you see or read in the media we have a little experience with that, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it, it's just amazing to see what, you know, how they do. And then, then of course there were releases of their messages with each other and, uh, wow. It, but, but the bottom line is what's worst of all set all that stuff aside. They have not opened up their schools for in-person education and, and I could not tolerate that. Yeah, that's brutal. All right, uh, let's, uh, we got have some people who have been very patient on hold. Sure. Let's take a couple of phone calls, and then we'll get back to maybe some of the things that happened at the meetings. Hey, caller, thank you for being patient. You're on with Andy and Terry Hutchinson from the school district. Oh, good morning, Andy, and thank you so much for uh, allowing me to be on your airwaves. I just got some questions for Terry Hutchinson. I am not a parent. Well, at least not until uh, Maury Povich gives me a call. I'm just wondering if I can have a meeting with Terry to voice some of my concerns. Hey, just give me a call about getting that meeting. Give me a call. What's your phone number? Um, Put it out there. (laughs) You can call my office. Uh, Where where is it under? What's the name of your office? Terry Hutchinson. Uh, I'll give you that number. 435-652-1115. Perfect. It'll track me wherever I am. I was just wondering about background checks for teachers in the school district. Hmm. How stringent is your process? Um, I'm just wondering, like, what, what does it involve? Is it as strict as, say, like an FBI background check? Like- I, I, I don't know about that. I know they do something with the Utah Bureau of Investigation. Uh, I, it's not what you call a deep dive. Do they even do just a basic Google search? Um, I, you know, I wouldn't be able to answer that. 
I mean, that being HR. Yeah, thing. What do you mean? Uh, you know, well, I don't. I don't know if they. I don't know. Well, it is free, but I don't yeah, know I if they do the that or not. I do background checks. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just wondering, why is a geography teacher in the school district not kind of not not wanting to discuss Ensenada, Mexico? I have no idea. I haven't heard of it. What, well, what it, that's the kind of thing that if a parent has a problem or a, one of the voters has a problem or you know member of the community. That's where they oh, contact us, and then oh, we look okay. into it. Okay, well, I look forward to this meeting. What branch of military did you serve in? Army. Army, yeah. Yeah, you always need the Marines to bail you, your butts out. <laughs> have a nice day, buddy. You were soft. Uh, thanks, yeah, thanks for well, I, I, I have to tell you, I, I was also jagged, so I got a double whammy there. Uh, and and the Marines, they got all my respect in the world. Um, I, I'm happy to talk to you when we get off the air, too, so give me a call about 10 o'clock military rivalry there i did yeah. i didn't know it was that strong oh i well some of some I, of the army of the could memes. carry that rivalry i'm i'm not one of those i'm you so know you, you were an officer anyway. i was an officer yeah, yeah. they're not really ar- real army guys right the officers uh the officers are real but <laughs> some of the lawyers aren't some of the doctors aren't it just depends all right all right cool um, you know, it, it's interesting, and maybe we need to do some research on that, Terry, to talk about the vetting research done on teachers and, and their backgrounds. I would say uh, it's not necessary 95% of the time, but there, there's... Well, you know, they get, they get fingerprinted, they get, uh, you know, they get run through various things. I, I just couldn't say if our HR department does a simple Google search on them, um, you know. Steve he, couldn't make it today. I'll bet he would probably he know probably He would probably that. know that, and... Um, you know, we, we trust that they're doing those backgrounds, mm-hmm. and we haven't had many problems with those backgrounds, um, you know, at least to date. So, you know, it's not like we've picked up somebody that's had problems in other areas or anything like that. And you and, you and I have talked a little bit about curriculum in the past and, and uh, some controversial curricul- curriculum that has come down the pipe. Uh, and I, I just wonder... Now, it, with those background checks, is is the interview process thorough enough that, you know, you, if you've got a guy who has some pretty out-there ideas teaching a history class, is that something that, that is closely watched and evaluated? Well, normally it's the principals of the schools that hire the teachers. Sure. And, um, you know, I've had five kids in the system. You've had your kids in the system. Sure. We've had teachers that don't agree with the way I view the world politically. Right. Um, it's been coming on me as a parent to deal with that either sometimes going to the teacher directly, but I usually don't do that. I mean, they're, they're entitled to their opinions, and, and certainly as long as they're not what I call academically dishonest or as long as they're not promoting a program that shouldn't be promoted, uh, you know, certain emphases or something like that, that that's just, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a free system. But the, te- but the principals are the ones who monitor those teachers and so if something is not going on within a program that should be going on, normally the parent would just contact the principal. Then if they still aren't getting where they need to go, uh, they can come to us. But obviously they can come to us uh, initially. I mean, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to listen to anybody. I get calls and emails all the time. Let's do a, a quick call with Seth uh, before we go to weather. Seth, real quick, what's going on with uh, Terry today? I'm glad Terry will talk to me. You know, we've been talking for about 97 years now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we have, Seth, and I've enjoyed it. Well, let me, um, I'd like to ask your opinion. I'd like the world's crackerjack constitutional attorney. Can you recommend, I mean, the ultimate constitutional attorney? I want to hire him. 
or her. Well, Rex Lee was somebody I trusted a lot, but he passed away. Um, well, we can do a seance. <laughs> no, that'd be somebody I would pay attention to. I, I really don't know who's the top guy right now. I, I would imagine the best place to start, Seth, would be somebody from the Federalist Society. Um, that's a group of, of attorneys, judges, who uh, basically support the originalist intentions of the Constitution. Antonin Scalia was kind of behind that, and so I would start there. All right. Um, and and the, I'm going to hire him to prove or indicate to me why we have compulsory mandatory education in the day of Facebook, and, and, and not Facebook, but the Internet, and all of the things that we face, because in my opinion, this educational system and the extraction of uh, hefty uh, taxes that seem to be growing out of control when there is no constitutional mandate that I can find in my constitution for this entire thing that's going on in our county without any restraint. Now, Andy is a, is a sports guy. There are all kinds of things added on to reading, writing, and arithmetic, and that it all can be had, like Brigham Young wanted, that people and their families educate their children and that uh, you want to play football, you join the NFL or some other uh, operation. If you want to sing and you want to dance and you want to art, well, gee, you, you get those things in the community that the parents pay for as needed instead of everybody paying property taxes and going through this entire system. It, it is at the point now where, where many, many senior people can't afford to even support all the children in Washington County. Well, Seth, I, I would just tell you that what you really need to do is get a good history of uh, public education in the United States. Now, let's, let's back way, way up, okay? In the early days, people banded together for community education. I mean, families would hire teachers. I mean... You know, one of the names that comes to mind for me in my reading of early American history is Oliver Cowdery. Uh, he was hired by a group of families to teach their children. So families have banded together to do this. Eventually, let, if, let me jump in, Jerry. This sounds like a long answer, and I've got to get a weather break. There we go. So okay. You prepare the rest of your notes. <laughs> and, and I don't have notes, Andy. <laughs> I'm talking don't. off the top of I my know. head. I know you don't. But, Seth, we'll be back. Every weekday morning at 9, Andy Griffin brings in the most relevant guests, tackles the top issues, and lets your voice be heard. Only, only on KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Welcome back to the Andy Griffin Show. Terry Hutchinson with me today. We're talking public education. Now, Seth called and said, you know, uh, public education isn't in the Constitution. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about it, Terry. Uh, you can, can you hear me? I can, okay. but uh, I don't know if you can hear me. I can hear you very okay. well, yes. Okay. So, can you tell from the headphones. So um, I was thinking about this. You know, in a year and a half, I, my, my, my caboose is a junior in high school. In a year and a half, I will no longer have any any kids in the public education system mm -hmm. uh thus maybe giving me a, a perspective that that seth is coming from that uh, it's tough on us to keep paying taxes on public education yeah. when we're not using it well andy sun river 
is in my district. So I have a lot of constituents that have those very concerns. But, you know, the, the thing is, the idea of public education, which used to be done, as I was mentioning right before the break, by the families, by kind of the communities, eventually has become something that's been taken over by the states. Uh, at some point, and you'd have to read a history of public education on this, which I haven't done. Frankly, I'd tell Seth to go do that for me. Um, you know, with bookmarks and all my other obligations, I don't have time to do a deep dive on it. But you would you you would find that at some point, fairly early in the process, the American public in its communities, in its cities, counties, states, decided that it was important for the community to have its children be educated. Yeah, the old one-room schoolhouse. Yeah, well, and, you know, and and eventually that has led to the life that we currently lead. Now, Seth's problem may involve the federal government in education, which its role grows continually, and uh, the strings that come with the money for that are numerous. Yes, they are. And uh, this would be something that you do a deep dive. I just tell Seth, hey, go to our budget for the Washington County School District, which is available online and our proposed budgets, they show you the funding streams. You'll find probably about 10% of our money, maybe less, comes from the federal government. And a lot of that has to do with school lunches and nutrition uh, because the federal government says, hey, if the kids need it, we'll feed them breakfast, we'll feed them lunches. In fact, during the the closure, it was free lunches for anybody that wanted them pretty much. I mean, the federal government has just been throwing money at stuff. They've thrown the CARES money at stuff. Everybody's getting it, taking advantage of it. I mean... Uh, the the waste and the back scratching that takes place in this thing, I think if anybody does a deep history of it is going to find that it's tremendous, as it always is whenever the government does something on that scale. Happened in World War II, happened in the Civil War, just as human nature that if the money's going to be out there in the public treasury, people are going to try and take advantage of it. But that's a topic for another time too. But you'll find that the majority of our funding comes from property taxes, which is right here in the county, our citizens in the county. And then it comes from the state income taxes. Now, the state has just amended its constitution or is in the process of it because of the vote that took place that's going to allow state income tax to be applied to things other than public education. And, um, you know, the, the, the legislature has been playing shell games with that in terms of tax reform. And this comes on the heels of the tax reform they passed last year and then had to rescind because of public outcry. So all of those things happen. But the bottom line is, is that public education at the state level, at the local level, is entirely constitutional in terms of the state constitution. Okay? As far as the federal government goes, you know, the federal government gets involved in things that... uh, and a lot of things that aren't in the original Constitution. Unfortunately, as taxpayers, we don't have individual standing to challenge the way the government spends our money. Right. And that means no court, no federal court in the world will hear that case because the Congress has specifically exempted individual taxpayers from having that kind of standing. So talk to the legislators. And I will say this, you know, but, and not, not the legal part of it, but just the personal part of it is, I can't imagine raising my family without a good public education. I, I, didn't, I didn't pay for private schools. I didn't, you know, I, I, I felt yeah. like I, I didn't homeschool. I felt like it was important not only for the learning part of it, but for the social part of it. For, you know, ki- kids learn how to be people when they're around, first of all, mentors like teachers and coaches. 
but also their their fellow students and and that part of it sometimes gets kind of washed away we don't even think about that but that is an important part of an education and that's why you were talking about earlier in this program that's why it's important that our kids are in school right now yeah. instead of at home watching a, a zoom class yeah when when everything first hit and they started talking about the masks and so forth we had dr blodgett in and he was briefing us on various things and, and frankly he is not aligned in the same way as uh the people up north in what i call the wasatch bubble mm-hmm. and uh, so you know but when I asked the question, it was like, well, what about all this research I've done from Europe where the kids don't social distance in Denmark and they don't wear masks, especially the ones that are up to 11? It just is not very practical. It's not very necessary, et cetera. And he just said, well, you know, I don't know. He says, we just know that for some reason students don't transmit it as easily. They don't get it as easily. They tend to be more symptomatic. He did not have exact figures. But then we come to another thing, and I say, well, what are the studies about how kids are affected if you social distance in schools and if you have masks in schools? There isn't one. So what we're doing is we're saying, well, we're going to take a shot in the dark, and we're going to, and and initially I think what what the argument for the public health officials would be is we're going to err on the side of caution. And so we're going to make the kids wear the masks. We're going to make them sit away from each other. And then we're just going to pay the price down the road. We don't know what that looks like. You know, we don't know. And so all the people that are against the mass and everything else, hey, there's, there's, there's a lot of valid arguments there. But the bottom line is the only thing everybody does assume is that in-person learning, even with masks and social distancing and the other stuff that we are required to do, is better than not. And, and I can, you know, anecdotally, I can agree. I can agree with that on a personal basis, seeing my kids go through that, having school shut down in March and, and April, yeah. uh, well, really for the rest of the year in the 2019-2020 yeah. school year, uh, it, it makes a big difference. Well, and, and you don't know, think about it this way, too. I'm a product of public education. I am the oldest of nine kids. Hmm. There is no way in the world my parents could have afforded to send me to private school. No, or, I, or homeschool. I, I paid for my, my university training. I had an ROTC scholarship. I had a national merit scholarship. I mean, I knew that if I wanted to do some of the things I needed to do, I not only had to get the good grades, I had to do the competitive test scores mm-hmm. and, and all the rest of that. And so it was just part of the price that we paid. Well... Because of my public education at taxpayer expense, I've benefited from it. My children have benefited from it. And really, it's incumbent on me to continue to give back and serve in any way I can. One of the reasons I'm sitting in the chair talking to you right now. But the other thing is, we need educated people to be able to take care of us when we're older and when we no longer have kids. So it's like... Do we want uneducated people in our communities? And in the world today as it is, with our standard of living, with everything that we do and have and so forth, the technology of it, the science of it, could not be achieved if everybody was just homeschooled. Right. I mean, right. You, you, you've got to look at the cumulative nature of what's been accomplished through public education. So it yeah, it's got its faults. Yeah, it's, you know, it's public. So we aim at audiences or we aim at demographics or students at different levels. 
And if you want to take it more, you've got the right to homeschool, you've got the right to private school, and so forth. But society in general and the legislatures have determined that that even if you homeschool, your kids have to be tested and you have to make sure they're meeting certain educational standards, whatever those are. If you've got a problem with standards, that's where the legislature comes in. All right, go back to the phone lines. Caller, you're on with Andy with Terry today. How are you? I hope this question is easier and that I don't have to talk as much. <laughs> Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. Uh, so Seth brought up the issue of constitutionality and and the uh, cost of education. And so those are both important issues, and you guys have talked about them a little bit. As a uh, senior citizen, uh, I still have grandkids in school, and I don't mind paying. Of course, we all pay way too. We're overtaxed. Everybody, I think, a reasonable person would agree to that. But, okay, it is what it is. My concern is what my grandson and granddaughters are being taught in school. And that's where I think most people's concern is, too, is that uh, young people today, by and large, and I haven't done a survey in, in our area and don't, uh, don't have access to one, but most young people think socialism is a good system and it's superior to capitalism. Most of our kids today couldn't even begin to tell you uh, how the U.S. government uh, is set up, that we're a republic, not a democracy. Uh, American history, it's embarrassing to me that my grandson, how little he knows about American history. And it's not because he hasn't been paying attention. It's because they don't teach it to him. And uh, so, Terry, you've, uh, you know, clearly you have a, a good understanding of, of history, and you started talking about education uh, early in, the, uh, in America uh, I, none of that is taught to our children today, and if it is, and this is the point of my call, Terry, I have tried to find out what they're teaching my kids in school, my grandkids, and I'll go to the school and I'll get just a snippet. They don't have a textbook that I can check out. They don't have a, a textbook I can buy. All of the teachers seem to have their own, uh, their own curriculum. They have their own program. And they're not willing to share that easily. And so what I want to know, Terry, is how can I find out what they're teaching my grandchildren on a day-to-day basis? Well, you know, first of all, I would suggest that you get your children to kind of walk through that and report to you. Because as a grandparent, our rights are pretty limited. I would also talk to the principal of the schools. Um, The principal is the one who oversees that. And so even if the teacher is reluctant to share that, just to have an honest and, you know, an honest conversation with them about that. Yeah, the, the textbook thing, part of it comes through uh, the Chromebooks and everything else. The technology has changed. It's not like when we went to school and we had a whole bag of books we had to carry around and so forth. And uh, then, uh, you know, I mean, I, just uh, probably, what, a month ago, I think, maybe, maybe five, six weeks ago, I went to one of the high schools. I was invited by an American history teacher to come and talk to the kids about the Constitution. And uh, it was great. So it is being taught in in our schools, and at least, you know, the various ideas are being taught. And once again, it's up to the parents to follow through at home to find out exactly what's going on there, and if they have to, to supplement it. That's what I did. And it well, that, does take effort. That being the case, then why do most young people today think that socialism is a superior economic model than capitalism? I would say a lot of that is because they don't get the structure from their parents. And most of what they're getting, getting most of what they're getting, but here's your other thing. Most of what they're getting is not coming from the schools. 
it's coming from the culture. That. It's coming from celebrities. It's coming from social media. It's coming from a lot of different sources. It is not just the history books. I mean, you can find great podcasts. You can find great books. Uh, I've talked about them on bookmarks a lot. You know, I, 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 could, I could get 100 copies of a book called Land of Hope that came out last year that, that's a really good history book. Uh, it's supported by both liberal historians and conservative historians. Uh, it's a very honest history of America. And I could put it in every single school and the kids don't read. Or, you know, the parents don't read. It really does start at home. And uh, to the degree that that's happening, a lot of parents just either don't know what to do, they don't do it, or they themselves are under the same mistaken impressions. Well, this goes back to my main point. We shouldn't have to rely on, uh, on parents and grandparents teaching our children some of the most basic concepts of America. These things should be taught in every class. I, yeah, I no, I, I agree. And the thing is, they may well be being taught in the classrooms. I don't think so. I, that's mm-hmm. not been my experience. No. I have followed along with my grandson, mm-hmm. and he doesn't get anywhere near the kind of education that, that you and I did as kids. We, we teach them all kinds of things that are unrelated to that. Transgenderism, they know all about that. Uh, sex education, we have plenty of uh, time and money carved out for that. But what about basic U.S. government and American history? We don't do nearly enough education in that area. Well, and, and let me let me interject, interject that, that part of it is they they see socialism. They don't they're not taught what's happened with socialism. All they see is hey free stuff. And I know that's simplistic to say, but honestly, when I had a conversation about my with my daughter about the very same thing, she's like, "Well, free stuff, free healthcare sounds great." Free, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Government, give, give me some food. That that sounds pretty good. But again, Andy, it goes back to the education in our public schools. It's like I started out my conversation. All right, so it's uh, you know we have a constitutional issue, we have money issue. We should be able to agree on what we should be teaching our children. Yeah. And as a basic foundational education. You must know what the Constitution is. You have to know why we live in a republic versus a democracy. But those things aren't taught, and it hasn't been my experience. And what I'd like, final question, Terry, can I call the school and can I sit in on various classes from time to time to see what my uh, grandson is being taught in school? Well, once again, that'd be up to the school principal. And at the moment, uh, a lot of people aren't in the classrooms primarily because of the COVID restrictions. So even we're, we're even restricting volunteers. Yeah. So I, I would say, and once again, as a grandparent, your rights are very limited. And I speak both from experience and as an attorney. Uh, so really, the person who has to follow up mostly with that would be the parent. The, parent, yeah. the, the, the school has no obligation legally to give you any information about your grandchildren unless you're their official guardian. And so... So that, that's where I'd follow up. And I'm, I'm not saying this. Believe me, I, I sympathize with what you're saying. Uh, you've roused my curiosity about some things, and, and I, you know, want to look into that a bit further. I do believe that the kids are getting taught the basics. When I went to the class, we talked about separation of powers, okay? We talked about the executive and everything, and I saw the lesson plan. So I know that the teacher was presenting that to the students. However... Once again, the overwhelming stuff that comes from the media, from culture, from what they watch, 
from everything they hear that just pounds them 24-7 mm-hmm. is all in favor of that socialistic agenda. It, and it, so you have to find a way to cut through that. And once again, that's incumbent on the parents, and it always has been. I mean, it was nowhere near as bad when my kids were in school, you know, 10, 15 years ago, except for my youngest, who just graduated, what, two years ago, three maybe, coming up on three. Um, So we had those conversations. But it it was apparent it's public education. So I don't control the curricula as much because it applies to a broader-based group of people who may even have different political beliefs. Therefore, it's up to me to supplement it. Got to get a break in. Uh, let's do this. There's a bit I of appreciate your call, and I really Hello. sympathize. Thanks. But, and we had one person on Hello. hold for quite some time. But go ahead. Yeah, you're on with Andy and Terry. Hey, thank you very much. I, I have one question here, and I feel like I have been listening to this thing, and you're standing up for something you really don't quite understand. When we're talking about when I went to school, I'm going to stick out there. I graduated in 60. Now, how many generations of teachers are coming through with the same agenda and forgetting what their basic rules are that we should be teaching our kids? Each generation that comes out has been brainwashed. They believe in the free stuff. That, 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 is, that they, is happening, they, sir. Uh, it's right. not that I don't know that that's happening. So, you, well, you know. Apparently, you're, you're not, somebody is not doing anything about it. You can ask my grandkid. No, don't laugh at me. I'm sorry, you can but ask, uh, ask my grandkid a question, a simple question like, "Who is Pocahontas? Who is Lewis and Clark?" I don't know. Never heard of them. Now you tell me that it's the parents' responsibility because we don't know what's being taught in school. That's all I got to say. Okay. Okay. Right. Well, I, I would just indicate to the caller that uh, that is. One of the biggest problems with public education, and it's in pockets. It's not always everywhere, but it creeps in. So it is not as bad here as it is in many other places, you know, if you have concerns about the things that you raised in the previous caller. Try raising your kid uh, in Santa Clara County, California, you know? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. However, it is a concern, and, yeah, the, the schools overall have changed, and in part it's because of the generational application of the teachers, and that comes from the university level. There are a lot of pieces to this problem, and the only effective way to fight it is to supplement it with your parents. And so you you have a difference between teaching big theories and big principles and teaching specifics, like who was Pocahontas? Well, I don't want to offend any pro-Pocahontas people there, but there's a lot bigger things to teach in American history that are going to be relevant today than that. Right. Lewis and Clark is an important person to know, two people actually, <laughs> and what happened with them. But once again, that's a thing that's, that's in American history, but it doesn't really help apply the principles of the Constitution to today. So there's a difference between actual history and civics, and that's a topic for another time. All right, so we've got to get a break in, uh, and then we'll uh, wrap up the show. I have one caller on hold. We'll get to them right after we come back. We're with Terry Hutchinson today from the Washington County School District. Talk a little bit of curriculum and education and what matters, and we'll get uh, again back to that in a second. Real quick, Joe Shoney 
is a sponsor of the show, has been since I've been here, great loan consultant. Now, his specialty is customer service. You say, what does that matter? Well, it matters a lot. If you've ever had a home loan and you're sitting there in the dark wondering where, what the heck's going on with your loan, and all of a sudden you get a call from some loan guy who says, you got to be here at 2 o'clock. If you're not here, you're going to lose the loan. It, it's not like that with Joe Shoney. He keeps you uh, updated all the way along the way. The proof is in the pudding. 486 reviews online. His average score, 4.91 out of five stars. And phenomenal. And you need to call Joe today. He'll take care of you. His phone number is 435-590-6300. We'll be back in one minute. Back with Terry Hutchinson. We're down to the last minute and a half or so. Terry, fire away. Yeah, so I'm sorry to the caller who's been on hold, but we I was asked this question afterwards by a reporter, and I wasn't going to say much about it until it became more public, but we have been challenged uh, on the practice of praying at the beginning of school board meetings by a group from outside the state. So that's going on out there. You may see some media reports about it. If you feel strongly about that issue, just communicate with your particular school board member about how you feel about it. Um, you know, I, I could say a lot more about that on a different program. And if you want to have me come back on some other time, we can talk about it in more detail, Andy. But uh, okay. that's still the preliminary. But these guys have been threatening us since uh, somebody complained about it uh, when we were broadcasting during the initial stages of the pandemic we had open facebook meetings and uh, i noticed somebody who was watching was complaining in the local area and now there's this outside group so anyway real quick 30 seconds caller what's up that would be me yeah for all of you parents and grandparents wondering what they're being taught in school my son has autism and he has an iep and he's in a science class in hurricane medical hurricane middle where the assignment is fabric, okay? He's supposed to sit in class, take notes. He can't write and he can't type, and he's going to get failed in science 